are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, peace be with you. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a first-time guest, man, we are thrilled that you are here this morning. We pray that a song will be sung or word spoken. Uh, that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Before uh, diving in, man, I just want to praise the Lord for our uh, director of worship, um, Austin Oglesby, and uh, our, our worship leader, amen, uh, Santrice. Uh, we have just been gifted uh, with just a wonderful uh, worship team. And not just them, those who lead us week in and week out, volunteering uh, in worship, getting here at six o'clock sometimes in the morning uh, to rehearse our musicians. Also, uh, those who are in the back, just holding us down on the ones and twos and clicking and making sure everything runs well. Amen. Could y'all give them a round of applause and just say thank you? One thing that you will probably notice is that the last few weeks we've been we've been upping uh, our new song, uh, singing more new songs here at Sojourn. And for some of you, uh, that may feel a little disorienting because you may not know uh, the songs. And so I just want you to know that that is intentional. And I, as a, a pastor, have asked for that. Uh, and uh, we're just going to go through a season of learning new songs. Uh, Sister Chantrice is almost celebrating one year. I think she is celebrating one year of being here at Sojourn. Amen. And it's also her birthday, too. Amen. Happy birthday, sis. Happy birthday. Uh, she is such a, a gift to us as a church. And for the last year, she has learned so many new songs um, and just put on her, let's, let's learn these songs so I can uh, help lead in worship. And she's done a marvelous job. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many new songs she sung, but it's, it's probably 50 plus, right? And so uh, for this next stretch of our life of the church, we're also going to be um, learning new songs. As she has humbly stepped into Sojourn's world and learned Sojourn's catalog, we're going to be stepping into her role and learning some of the songs that have most shaped her and that um, she has led others to know as well. 
And so um, I just thank uh, the Lord for that, that we are learning some new songs together. The Bible says, sing unto the Lord a new song. Hallelujah. And so we're singing some new songs. And guess what? New songs become old songs. Amen, somebody. And, uh, and then soon we'll be able to just kind of mix those catalogs together and enjoy Jesus in, in, in an even more rich way as a church as we continue to just learn from, uh, from different uh, catalogs and different traditions so that we can worship the one who gave his all for us. So I just want to say thank you. Um, and let's continue to lift our voices to the Lord and sing unto him for he is worthy to be praised. Amen. All of us have been there. We've either been the child, (laughs) babysat the child, or we have parented the child who wakes up in the middle of the night afraid. They're scared. Maybe it was a nightmare that they had. Maybe it was a strange noise in the house. Perhaps it was a a thunderstorm. It was the the thunder, the the lightning, the, the rain that got them up. And that little child is as as courageous as they can be because they normally get off their bed. They begin to traverse through a valley, the dark valley of a hallway. And they turn that knob and they enter into that parent's room. Now, some parents, when they hear the child enter into the room, they pop up right away and they ask, are you okay?" Others remain asleep. And they suddenly feel a presence there, and they wake up, and the child is there, and it's like, whoa, what, is, what are you doing, right? It's like, what in the sixth sense is happening? But we've all been there. And in those moments, what that child needs is not a, a lecture. In that moment, what that child needs is presence. They need to, to be reminded that their parent sees them and cares for them, is present there, will protect them, and loves them. The Apostle John says, it is perfect love that casts out all fear. And even as we sit here this morning in this worship service, some of us this week, we, we have, we're kind of like that child. We've been battling fear, anxiety, and worry all week long. And metaphorically speaking, we got out of the bed this morning. We, we traversed down that dark valley. We opened that knob, that door, and we are in this sanctuary together, hoping that the Lord's presence will meet us so that we can go back out into the world and live as he has called us to. We all have fear. Fear, in some ways, can be a gift from God or because it leads us to God. And God has created us with a a natural inclination when there is a threat to be afraid. And there is even a a righteous fear, a good fear that is healthy. But the type of fear I'm talking about today is this this crippling fear that often leads us to to sin, this this fear that, that often comes in so strongly that we we lay aside faith in God and we, we turn to self-reliance and self-dependence and, and we go down a hole of, of chronic anxiety. And I just believe today that the Lord wants to set, set us free from that. That the Lord wants to, to meet us there. 
And for some of us, that setting free may mean us just recognizing that and going to get help, whether it's seeing a pastor or addressing some deeper issues and seeing a a therapist. But for all of us, I believe that the answer that we need is, is, is in the Lord and that his Holy Spirit can, can guide us down that path of freedom from fear. And so today we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and fear, the Holy Spirit and, and fear. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we see that Paul says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. And probably what Paul is pointing us to and talking to is building on this argument that he made in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul is writing to remind the church here that because we have been adopted into the family of God, we uh, do not have to live in fear trying to perform our way to God. But I believe that the application is even, even more bigger and freer, uh, bigger and larger for us here today, that because we have been divinely adopted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we do not have to live in any habitual way of fear. Because of our loving Father, we can declare that fear has no place in our life because he has divinely adopted us and empowered us with the Spirit. So what are you afraid of this morning? What are you afraid of? Are you you afraid of being insignificant? Are you afraid of becoming maybe like a, a, a parent? Are you afraid of of ends not being met? Are you afraid of just giving in to your sinful nature and inclination and just being swallowed by it? Are you afraid that something in your past is lurking and it's going to become present or there's something in your past that God has not forgiven and as a result you are are facing punishment or karma? What are you afraid of this morning? Are you afraid of not measuring up? What are you afraid of this morning? I want you to traverse with me down that dark hallway by faith, entering into the Father's presence, knowing that his perfect love casts out fear. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would break the spirit of fear. As the Apostle Paul told Timothy, you have not given us the spirit of fear, but love, power, and self-control. Father, we do not have to be afraid. Would you help me to preach this message this morning with clarity while being in the spirit, ministering by faith? Would you get behind our walls of pretentiousness and and self-rejection or or, or pride or insecurity? Would you help us to be present in this moment to your word so that we can be your people and fulfill your great commission, not for you, but with you? Speak, Lord. For your sheep know your voice and a stranger they will not follow. 
In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So what we're going to do here, we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. Just going to kind of talk about that, make those connection points, bring us into our context. And then we're going to look at how the spirit of adoption sets us free from fear. And we're going to see that the spirit of adoption in this text that Paul points us to intimacy with the father, assurance of sonship, and then talks about an amazing inheritance that we have received um, with Christ Jesus. So intimacy with the father, assurance of sonship, and this amazing inheritance that we have received. And we're going to look at how when we meditate on these truths, um, it can help uh, free us from fear. So we're going to pick up at verse 12. We're right in the middle of an, an argument here. And Paul uh, starts in verse 12. He says, so then, and if so then is pointing us back to really verses 5 through 11, where the apostle Paul is showing us that because we are in Christ, that through the spirit, we have received life. We have received life. We are no longer uh, dead. We are no longer debtors to uh, the flesh. And, and the Apostle Paul even makes this bold statement. He says, listen, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in you. The same spirit that breathed life back into Jesus's dead body after his crucifixion that got his heart back beating, his organs back moving, is empowering you to live for him. And so he says, so then, and notice this familial language. The apostle Paul has been adopted into the family of God, just like the church of Rome, just like you and me. And I love how he's apostle, but he uh, says, hey, we're all equal in this. We're all a part of the same family, brothers and sisters. Listen to what he says. We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Let me break that down. He says, you don't owe the flesh anything. Many times out of our fear and our anxiety, we find ourselves acting out, acting in our, when he says flesh, sinful nature. Outburst of anger. Lying fighting and grasping for, for people to, to see us, to, to be somebody. He says, listen, you do not owe the flesh anything because if you live according to the flesh, he says, you are going to die. And this brings us back to Genesis, doesn't it? When God told Adam and Eve that if they live or if they eat of that one tree in the garden, that, that death was going to come. And we know that as a result of the fall that we have physical death, but we also know that there is a, a spiritual death and ultimately a, a second death that comes to those who rather than live in the spirit, live in the flesh. And the apostle Paul says here that because if you live according to the flesh, he says, you are going to die. But I love that word. Amen. In the New Testament, B-U-T <laughs> in the New Testament. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So the way of our sinful nature, us just giving in into our inclinations, into our flesh brings death. But he says, if you live by the spirit, 
He says, you are going to live. Now, there's a tension in this text, right? And the tension is, as we know, as, as Paul says, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ died and was raised from the dead, then we shall be saved. So there's this tension where we know that eternal life is inherited uh, by grace uh, through faith, right? By faith through grace. Uh, but there, there seems to be Paul saying, no, but eternal life is also uh, found in us walking in the Spirit, living a Spirit-led life. And what he's basically saying is not salvation by works, but that those who have been saved by faith are those who are led by the Spirit. That means that they have a life that is committed, I'm going to use a big word here, to the mortification of the flesh. And that is a word uh, more to mortify, to, to kill, to put to death. It sounds like surgery, right? sounds aggressive. It sounds almost unnecessary, but it's necessary. Paul is saying, listen, those who are led by the Spirit and living by the Spirit are those who mortify the flesh. They are committed to putting that old man to death. They are committed to doing what Jesus said, to cut off that left hand or that right hand or pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. The Christian life is a, a life of actively pursuing the Spirit and by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And now we're not saved by our good works, but as we live a life of faith through the power of the Spirit, we should be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And so we see here that the Apostle Paul is, is urging the church on, and he's calling them to do that. But notice what it says here, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Some of us, the reason that we are not having victory in our lives as maybe consistent as we could be is because we're not doing it by the Spirit. We're trying to put to the deeds of the flesh, uh, trying to kill the, to the flesh through our own power and our own strength. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit brings life. And one of the breakthroughs, I think, in my spiritual life and maturation was being discipled in a way to do that, to, to realize that um, you, we can't fight sin and we can't fight our old man just by self-will and determination. Yes, we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, but we have to recognize that it is God at work in us and through us. And so the way in which we put to death that old man, that old nature is by depending on the spirit. And Paul has already told us what it looks like to, to depend on the spirit. It looks like to, to fix your mind on the things of the spirit and not the things of this flesh. It is to have a mindset switch to where we, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, we are thinking about the things that are above and not the things that are below. 
It's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, where we are learning to put on that, that helmet of salvation. It's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, where we are committed to renewing our mind. It's what Paul talks about to the church of Corinth, where he talks about pulling down every thought, every stronghold. It is disciplining ourselves, and we'll see here in this next verse, to constantly put on and to remind ourselves of our divine adoption and sonship and all, all that comes with it. We're going to talk a little more practically here in a second about some of the things that I've learned to do, to, to walk in the spirit, to put to death the things of the flesh that, that completely uh, revolutionized my, my personal walk. But we'll see in verse 14 that the Apostle Paul is going to give us this, this hinge verse that is going to connect us back to what he's been saying in verses 1 through 11 about life in the Spirit and how through the Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. But it's also going to serve as a pivot to what he wants to talk about the rest of the chapter, which is this glorious inheritance that we have as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit and this promise that we have to, to, to uh, this new heavens and this new earth, which the earth longs for. I think verse 14 is just so amazing. It says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. And what I love about this verse and love about what Pastor, the Apostle Paul um, is doing here, as I was just observing the text and meditating on this week, I just thought it was phenomenal that Paul models for us in, many, in the way that he is writing what it means to set your minds on the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. In the first 13 verses, at least 10 times by my count, Paul mentions the word flesh, right? Which uh, can be translated in most verses as the sinful nature. 13 times. From Romans chapter 14 on, he's not going to talk about the flesh at all. Now his whole focus is going to be about life in the spirit. I think that's absolutely amazing. Flesh, 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 flesh. And I was like, all right. Spirit, 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 spirit. And I just think that's an amazing observation that he's going to show us how to lean into living by the spirit. And the way that we do that is by focusing in on our divine adoption. Verse 15, we read, for you did not receive, you did not receive. Listen, the spirit of adoption is something that you receive. You cannot earn your way into the family of God. You cannot be born into the family of God because you are of a certain ethnicity or, or nationality or uh, because your parents were Christians. No, you receive this gift from the Holy Spirit, which leads you to confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus. And it's not based upon your works. It's not based upon your pedigree. It's not based upon your knowledge. It's not God doesn't save you because he looked at you and he said, man, you would really benefit my kingdom. You are amazing. You have so much potential. No, the Bible says that we were all dead in our sins and transgressions, but God who is rich in mercy, in mercy, we receive this divine adoption. Now, when we talk about adoption in our Western world, and even as we're reflecting on Stan Sunday and adoption, it's, um, it means something, right? It means that to us that there is a, a child who is beautiful and wonderful and created in God's image, um, needs to leave their, their first home, 
because of a, a parent is unable to provide the, the care that they need. And another family then steps up and they say, you will become a part of our family. And they go through the steps legally to make that happen. And that child receives that family's last name and is a part of the family. In the Roman Greco world, though, things were uh, a little different. And probably what Paul has in mind is this idea of adoption in which he would take a, uh, someone would take a child or an adult or even a slave. And this person doesn't uh, have an heir to hand their inheritance off. So they would take someone, a child, adult, or a slave, and they would adopt them as their heir. And they would say, listen, all of your old debts are paid. You now are receiving a new name. You now have uh, are an instant heir of everything that I have. It belongs to you. Everything that was hanging over you, I'm going to take off your plate. And you are, you are a new son, a, a new child. And the only obligation is that you just live out the family's name. Paul is saying, listen, in Christ Jesus, your debts have been paid. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have received a, a new name. You are part of a, a new kingdom. Not only are you a part of a new kingdom and have you received a, a new name, but you have a, a new inheritance. And this is all a work and a result of grace. And so what does this divine adoption do? This divine adoption um, is, is birthed in us through the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we then, as Christians, can, can have confidence. And we don't have to live in fear because we know three truths. The first truth is, is that, that there is now an intimacy that we have with the Father. The Father's presence changes everything. And the Holy Spirit... Calls us, causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. So let's look at this intimacy. Verse 15, for you did not receive a, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus in our life. And when we are suffering, when we are afraid, he unctions us to cry out, Abba, Father. And he as well cries out through us, Abba, Father. And this is so interesting, this word Abba, which is more of a, a personal name of, of the Father, uh, uh, like Daddy, Father. It's only used three times in scriptures. The, the other time is uh, Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, we read these words, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So our, our sonship causes us to, to cry out, Abba, Father. But we also see this in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He is uh, suffering. He is he's hurting because he, he knows the time has come for him to die this brutal death by crucifixion on the cross. And this is a heavy thing because of the physical pain that he's going to suffer, but also because the spiritual anguish of having all of God's wrath 
for sin poured out on him. Jesus could feel all the past, present, and and future sins of everyone who would place their faith and trust in him. He was going to now be held accountable for it. And he was going to experience this holy wrath poured out. So what does he do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's on his face praying to God and the Spirit unctions him to cry out to the Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus cries out this, this Daddy, Father. It's an intimate cry. But I love what this says here, that there's this cup of God's wrath that he must now drink. But in the middle of praying this, the Spirit strengthens him to pray the words, nevertheless. I wonder if that's because in crying out to God, he experienced the presence of his Father. Metaphorically speaking, I could just see that cup passing by Jesus as he is crying out. And as he looks into that cup of God's wrath, he sees the face of his bride, which whom he is going to redeem. He sees your plight without his intercession. He sees your future without his penal substitution. He sees your destiny with nihilism and hell and and death without his interceding. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cries out, Daddy, Father, our Father. And this isn't just cried out for men, right? Paul here talks about this sonship or to sun eyes. And he's not just talking about men. This just doesn't apply to men. And in the Roman Greco world, we know that uh, there was this uh, patriarchal society in which uh, the heir would be a, a firstborn male or a, another male, and they would receive this inheritance. But what Paul is doing here is absolutely beautiful. It's subversive. He's saying, not just are men receiving this blessing, but women are too. Because in Christ, through his work on the cross, the, uh, we all are are before God as as one. There is no longer Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female. Sisters, this applies to you. There's an intimacy for all of God's children. All of us can cry out, Abba, Father. I love what Tim Keller uh, says about this. He says this, Christian women should not resent being called sons any more than Christian men should resent being called part of the bride of Christ. (laughs) Christians are all sons and all the bride of Christ. God is even-handed in his use of metaphors, and each metaphor tells us something about our relationship with Christ. Sisters, brothers, you have received this intimacy with God. When you are afraid and you feel that anxiety, when you are are wondering what the future holds, when Satan's voice is loud upon you and trying to tell you that you do not matter, that you are not significant, 
when that wish list and that dream that you had for your life is so prevalent before you and you look at your current life and say, it is not adding up. May you run down the valley of that hallway into your father's bedroom and may you cry out, Abba, with confidence knowing that your father will give you the strength to persevere and he will break that chain of fear because his perfect love cast out all fear. What are you afraid of? Not only is there intimacy, but there's assurance in this text. There's assurance in this text. Look at the next verse. He says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children that we are God's children. There is a testimony that is happening through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we pursue the Father's presence, the Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to God. And I I just want to challenge us in this church to live out of that assurance. God has called us to to have some spiritual authority, some spiritual power. Y'all work with me for a second. Just too many of us, we live unassured. We are being choked by lies from Satan that makes us believe way too often. And all of us, we are human, we have moments of the flesh, but some of us, we are waddling in this unacceptance, in this, 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 this life of, of self-pity or, or insecurity that shows itself out sometimes in just over-self-exaltation and self-dependence. And God's invitation for you is to go into the Father's presence to to commune with him daily so that the Holy Spirit can constantly testify through you in those moments of weakness that you are safe. You have a family. You have a father. You have spiritual authority. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Learn to lift up your head in those moments. Stop cowering and and woe is me and I'm defeated and nobody cares and God doesn't see me and the world is constantly crashing. You have a, a heavenly father who has adopted you into his family. Part of that discipleship into the spirit is learning to pray without ceasing. Pastor Jarvis talked about that last week, this constant communing. When I was discipled in this way of prayer is a constant, intimate conversation. It's also, as Paul talked about before, it's this mortification of the flesh. It's this holy pursuit of obedience to God. Sometimes we don't have this assurance because we are not fighting sin. And we don't feel this intimacy with the Father because we have given ourselves over to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But there's also this just minute-by-minute fellowship that God 
is inviting us into and through the Spirit as we learn to fellowship with this God who reigns supreme over the entire universe, who is holding all things together with His hand and with His Word. Every atom, every molecule, every blade of grass is under His control. As we fellowship with Him, we experience the Holy Spirit giving us assurance that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who is for us, and that changes the way we live because in the midst of circumstances, we can say like Paul, rejoice in the Lord always, I say. Again, I say we rejoice. We can respond like David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. We can worship Jesus because we know that that throne is occupied, that he is in control and that he is for me. This isn't the first time that you've felt alone. You felt alone before. That's part of the human experience. Our heart aches for home, but rather than waddle in our aloneness, I dare you to worship Jesus. I dare you to break out and to praise him. I dare you to lift up your voice and to remind yourself of who he is and what he has done for you. That he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I dare you to put on your cloth of praise and begin to say thank you, Jesus, because you are faithful. Thank you, Jesus, because even though I feel alone, I know that I am not alone. Thank you, Jesus, because I know that I have a sure foundation when the wind comes and the storms blow. I know that I, my soul is anchored to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, because I know that you are a friend to the friendless, a a home for the homeless, a, a shelter in time of need. Thank you, Jesus, because you are a lawyer in the courtroom. Thank you, Jesus, because you are my advocate, my friend, my teacher. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. There's a practical atheism that we live with. And God is saying, listen, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head to the hills. From where does your help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker and the creator of the earth. Lift up your head, child of God. Sitting the first time ends didn't meet. He came through then, he'll come through again. This isn't the first time that you've felt depressed. He shined that light on your heart, he'll shine it again. Traverse, pray, linger into his presence because in the presence of the Lord, there is a fullness of joy. Oh, that God would raise up a church. Oh, that God would raise up a people that cried out, Abba, Father. Oh, that he would raise up a a people together that were living with a holy confidence, with a but God in their spirit. Oh, that he would raise up a people who believe in the book 
that at the end we win and there will be a time of, of no more crying, no more tears, no more jealousy, no more confusion, but just peace where every morning is Sunday morning. Oh, that the Lord would raise up a people who will fall into their face and just worship him, not because of what they want from him or what he can do, but because of what he's already done. And what he's already done is already enough. Oh, I feel my help. Third is inheritance. We're going to have to do some slicing and dicing, amen. <laughs> inheritance. Look at this. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, think about what was just said. Wow. You are a co-heir with Christ. You have an inheritance. And Paul says in Ephesians that the down payment of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> A co-heir with Christ. So you say, Pastor, break that down for me. What, what you talking about? What I'm saying is God adopted you into his family. And you become a, a part of, you are, we are the body of Christ. We are, are one with Christ now Whatever is true of Christ is true of you. Whatever Jesus has, you have. The peace that's available to Jesus is, is yours. The love and the joy that's available to Jesus is, is yours. The, the empowerment through the Holy Spirit that was available to Jesus as he walked through this earth, it is, is yours. But more than that, the inheritance that he's going to talk about that is to come in a new heavens, in a new earth, it is yours. That means that when you get to heaven and you see Jesus and, and you like the robe that he got on and he swagged out, you're like, man, I want a robe like that. Michael the angel's like, yo, it's yours. All right, that's nowhere in the Bible, but you know what I'm saying. Everything that Jesus has is yours. God will treat you in heaven as he treats his son. God treats you through his son in Christ as his son. Every single morning, there's new mercy. There's new grace. You are a co-heir with Christ. Imagine waking up in the morning and you get a call from uh, Oprah Winfrey or uh, Jeff uh, Bezos. You're like, oh, that'd be an inch in the morning, wouldn't it? And you learn that you are a part of their family and you receive their inheritance. You would be pretty excited. Some of y'all are like, no, I would not. <laughs> Others are like, yes, I will be called Jack Bezos. All right, from here on, no problem. <laughs> but listen, you are in Christ Jesus. You have more than if you inherited that from Oprah. Because you have something that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. You have been forgiven of your past, present, and future sins. You have the riches of heaven. Everything in glory belongs to you. God has created this universe for you as a co-heir to enjoy. And you can tap into that power by putting your mind, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. I want to show you something real quick as we think about the Holy Spirit in this text. Let's just go over these promises that we see in the text over and over. 
Let's just marvel at the Holy Spirit. And verse 13 says that the Holy Spirit empowers us to put to death the deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit leads those who are God's children. Listen, the Holy Spirit, if you belong to Christ, the righteous, a righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord. If you don't know what God wants and he hasn't spoken to you clearly, wait on the Lord. He leads those, and not just in day-to-day decisions, but he leads those uh, to, to set their minds on the things of God. The Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. The Holy Spirit graces us with divine adoption and enables us to cry out, Abba. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit mediates this intimacy, this assurance, and this inheritance. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are not alone, child of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. So let me ask you this question as we close. What what part of what we talked about this week do you feel an invitation from the Lord? Is it to to cultivate this intimacy with the Father? Is it walking in confidence and spiritual power as those who have assurance through the Holy Spirit that we belong to God? Is it rejoicing in your inheritance, the most, listen, beautiful future possible? You have the most beautiful future possible. In Christ Jesus. And for some today, you need to cry, Lord, help me to actually believe that, to feel that, to be able to think that, that you have prepared something for me that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man what you have prepared for me. Listen, life is hard. Singleness is hard. Marriage is hard. Being a teenager is hard. Parenting is hard. But look, on the horizon, you have an eternity with God the Father in a perfect world without sin. Satan is defeated and you are free. So cry out to Abba Father and help you to believe this. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.